This is Your Partners in Pain, a podcast that aims to bring together those who live with pain, healthcare providers who treat chronic pain, and researchers working on topics that affect people living with pain. This podcast is a must-listen for anyone experiencing pain or anyone trying to help those who live with it. Your Partners in Pain is presented by the Saskatchewan Pain Society, also known as SAS Pain, and I am your host, Alexandria. Each episode, we are going to speak to Saskatchewan-based healthcare providers and researchers who have information and education to share about pain science and pain care. We are also going to speak with everyday people as they share their incredible stories of living with pain and the techniques they've used to help manage it and live well. It is important to note that the information presented in this podcast represents the opinions of the host and the guests that appear on the show and not that of SAS Pain. The content presented should not be taken as direct health care advice, but for informational purposes only. Because each individual is unique, please consult your healthcare provider for any questions or concerns you have, or before you incorporate any of the ideas presented in this podcast into your own treatment plan. In episode 12, we speak to yoga therapist Sarah Garden about how yoga can be a tool to manage or treat chronic pain. Sarah discusses how yoga can make a difference in dealing with chronic pain due to your brain's neuroplasticity, how the arms model can be helpful, and what it's like working as a yoga therapist in Saskatchewan. Join us and learn about the importance of paying attention to what's going on in your body and how you might be able to change your relationship with chronic pain. All right. Well, joining me here is Sarah Garden from Bodhi Tree Yoga and the Regina Chronic Pain Care Clinic. So hi, Sarah. How's it going? It's going really well. Thank you. How are you? Great. Thank you. Well, thank you for joining us here today. I'm so excited to hear more about what you've got to share with us. Well, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to uh, to get a chance to chat with you. Fantastic. Well, let's start with the basics here. So um, you're a, a yogi who does yoga therapy. So can you explain to listeners who may not know what is yoga therapy? Yoga therapy differs a little bit from like a regular and I like I'm putting air quotes on regular yoga practice, whatever that actually means, because there's such a huge variety of yoga practices. Yoga therapy practice will be sort of an individualized program that's specifically designed for the person who uh, you're working with. And that program is designed kind of with some goals in mind, um, whether they be sort of like mental health or physical health goals or um, just sort of, uh, you know, a, a more broad kind of goal in mind of like creating some life changes or, or sort of looking towards, um, some objectives that somebody would want to, um, want to, I don't like the word achieve, but let's put the word achieve in there that they would want to kind of work towards. For sure. Wow. Um, and that sounds like a fantastic way to, to approach those kinds of goals or, or maybe objectives or, you know, whatever language works for you. (laughs) Um, so what kind of results do you, uh, think people see when they do yoga therapy with you? So I think with me, I have a very kind of specifically directed practice. So my practice, 
Um, I say it's specifically directed, but for the last, I guess, a little over 20 years, um, I've been working with people who have um, mostly of chronic pain. And that's not, I'm not exclusive to that. I I run a program for um, folks with cancer as well. And so cancer treatment, but the majority of the programming that I do is focused around pain. Now pain is pretty broad. So, um, you know, and, but when we look at, we look at chronic pain, we would look at anything that lasts longer than sort of three months, which by the time somebody gets to a therapeutic yoga program, you can almost guarantee that, that if they have pain, it's been there for more than three months, because they've usually tried sort of more I'm going to, I'm going to air quote again, normal practices for pain that they've been recommended to, to go to their physician or um, to go to their physiotherapist or their chiropractor or something like that. Um, So by the time they get to me, I'm working with pain that's been there usually for at least a year or two, Um, though that's starting to shift a little bit. I'm starting to get some people who are you know, three, six months, a little bit sooner because I get some referrals in from um, the emergency department and those sorts of things. Um, so yeah, when we're looking at, um, results that people would get, that'll totally be individualized for the person and what they're looking for from their practice. So we start to, um, personalize that programming for them, but hopefully when we're looking at pain, we're looking at, um, improvements of quality of life, improvements in pain, um, maybe, um, totally eliminating, or at least, um, improving their pain or giving them new skill sets to help them manage, um, stress and help them manage manage pain um, and to be able to better um, handle it as they kind of move through their daily routine. Wow. That sounds really fantastic. And like it addresses the person almost as a whole and not just, you know, addressing their pain or whatever it is that's causing their pain. Absolutely. So that's really the idea. And I think that's that's one of the things that I would say um, can differentiate yoga therapy from other forms of therapy. And which is not to say that there aren't other forms of therapy that look more holistically as well. I don't want to minimize anybody's um, therapeutic modality because I think there is a lot of, of um, therapeutic modalities that are starting to look more, more um, in a more connected way. So trying to look at making connections between, you know, uh, the sort of biopsychosocial parts of of us all looking at how our breath is connected into our body and our mind and um, the, those sort of like bigger picture things of like how your social support systems um, or your, um, you know, uh, even your housing, for example, would affect your your health outcomes, right? Or your ability to have food security, those sorts of things. So um, certainly that sort of holistic perspective is a big part of, of yoga as a form of therapy and especially the way that I approach it. So we're really looking at kind of um, taking the whole person into consideration as we as we move forward. And so not just the whole person as they currently are, but their history, um, you know, their their family, their genetics. There's so many factors that play into, um, you know, whether or not somebody has pain, how they recover from it, how they're able to manage things. And, um, and so we want to, I want to make sure that I consider that when I'm working with the individual in front of me. Wow. Uh, I, I mean, we should all be so lucky as to receive that kind of care, but with yoga therapy, it sounds like you're really able to see that whole picture of, you know, body, mind, and spirit 
as well as all the, you know, the other factors that you just mentioned. Um, but to kind of backtrack a little bit and focus on maybe just one of those variables, um, when we're talking about the mind, um, you and I have had discussions prior to this about uh, neuroplasticity and the importance of neuroplasticity in yoga therapy. Uh, so for people who don't know, um, neuroplasticity refers to your brain's ability to change and adapt both the structure of your brain, how it's formed, and its function um, in response to experiences and as a result of uh, change over the entire course of your life. So, uh, Sarah, in your experience, how does neuroplasticity impact people living with pain? So in a, in a huge way, while we know for sure that um, once you've had pain for more than three months, there's some really um, kind of fundamental changes that start to happen in a person. And, and those fundamental changes happen both in the tissues themselves. So the tissues, when I explain it to folks, I'll say the tissues that, um, uh, that are providing information to your brain. So they're giving your, your brain sensory input, um, become more sensitized. So they're becoming kind of more hypersensitive. So we look at that plasticity, um, or that ability for your nervous system to change. And we're like, well, that changed in a way that isn't necessarily serving us that well, because now we're more sensitive and we're more sensitive to things that, um, prior to this would have been interpreted as being perfectly safe for your system and now um, are kind of creating a, a danger signal for your brain, right? They're like, there's too much of whatever this happens to be, whatever this input happens to be. So when we look at that, um, you know, the, the tissues themselves becoming more sensitized, we would say that's like a change that's happened to your nervous system in a way that um, in all likelihood isn't serving us. There are some times where it does ser serve us, but in all likelihood, um, it's not serving us over the long term. And then when we look at the brain, um, the brain becomes more vigilant. So we can look at the plastic changes that happen to the brain. And we would say it went from, you know, interpreting most things as being safe to becoming a little bit. And I like using the, the analogy of becoming a little bit like a helicopter parent, right? <laughs> it's like constantly warning you about things being, being potentially dangerous that, that aren't necessarily dangerous. And that can become, um, problematic because now, uh, just about everything you do or a lot of things that you do that wouldn't have been interpreted as being dangerous before are now being interpreted by your brain and your nervous system as being potentially dangerous. And then that system feels like it needs to step in and start to protect you. And it does that in a whole bunch of different ways, but it's one of the ways that it does that. And since we're, you know, talking about pain today, one of the ways that it does that is by by giving out a pain signal. And the pain signal is really there to try to get you to change your behavior, to try to get you to pay attention, to protect you, to try to get you to change your behavior so that you move to uh, uh, what the brain and the nervous system would interpret as being a safer, a safer activity or a safer position. And so the plasticity of the, the nervous system and the brain um, kind of moves you into a smaller, it, it basically narrows what's available to you without giving off that warning signal, right? So, so you can do less and less basically without ending up with pain. And sometimes, um, you know, patients or students will come in and say, I don't even know, I don't even have to do anything. And now I just have pain, even when I'm sitting here or I'm thinking about moving and it becomes really confusing, right? So what, um, what we want to do is use that ability for the brain and the nervous system to change 
um, to actually move people out of pain. So if it can change to move you into pain, it can also change to be able to move you out of pain. And so that's the really exciting part about it. You know, I talk to folks about this and it's like, you know, well, it changed and now I'm sort of stuck in this place and it changes in um, a way that's unconscious, right? It's not like somebody's like, well, I think I'd like to become a little bit more vigilant about this now. <laughs> I, I want like, to have more pain. Yeah, I think I'd like this. Like yeah. nobody, you know, and I think a lot of times we get told like, oh, it's, you know, our pains in our brain or, and that gets a little bit, that, that messaging gets a little bit um, misinterpreted in that this is an unconscious response from the body to try to keep you safe. And, you know, the, the ancestors that, we had are the ones who had more vigilant systems automatically, right? They were already, they were the ones who survived. The ones who who weren't, you know, who didn't have somewhat more vigilant systems um, didn't make it through. And so as a result of that, we're kind of, we're more, we're more likely to, to have that kind of hypersensitive or hypervigilant system. And so that happens unconsciously. And as a result of that, then when we want to change our pain, we need to take conscious control of that. We want to start to make conscious decisions that will help us change it because it's an unconscious practice. So that's one of the things that's so great about yoga is that we make a lot of things that were once an unconscious practice or an unconscious thing that we did. And we turn those into uh, conscious or bring that into our conscious awareness. Absolutely. As a yoga practitioner myself, I can tell you that the amount of clumsiness I've experienced as I go through my yoga practice has decreased a lot because I become a lot more aware of some of the movements or motions that, you know, were previously unconscious because of my yoga practice. So I feel like that's a part of neuroplasticity. You know, my brain now recognizes the way I move. And so I wonder, um, how do you, you know, uh, use that neuroplasticity, that, that capacity for change? to help people uh, address their pain? You said, you know, making conscious decisions, but what does that look like? So I always, you know, chat with folks about the fact that, you know, it's great if you can go onto your yoga mat and you can do this practice on your yoga mat, but really when we're working with pain and hopefully, you know, other yoga practitioners are doing this as well, but they're taking their practice and kind of integrating it into their day-to-day living, right? So really what we want to do is we want to start to become more consciously aware of the things that are serving us well. So the things that are, are not contributing to our pain, let's, let's use that as an example. And then we want to look at the things or the practices that we're doing that are um, contributing to what I would say is like the cyclical nature of pain, right? So that pain response, and then we, we always have an emotional response to pain. So we have that emotional response. Then with that emotional response also comes a physical response. We'll have like a change in the way that we breathe or a change in the tension levels in our body or resisting, um, you know, pain or fighting pain. Sometimes, you know, you'll really see people start to tense up. So we have all of these sort of unconscious responses that start to happen in the body. And so with yoga, we try to make you more aware of what's actually happening. When are you you know, what's sort of quieting that system and what's amping up that system. And then we can start to create those changes or, or start to promote the things that quiet the system, start to promote the things that uh, will help to calm that pain response. 
That sounds amazing. I, I mean, I, I feel like even people who don't live with chronic pain would probably benefit from something like that. But being able to see those concrete changes in your pain levels or, you know, even just the way you live in your body would make such an impact on that day to day living with it. And so I wonder, do you have like a specific model or approach that you use to, you know, help make those conscious, conscious changes? Yeah, for sure. So through the years, so I've been doing this for like over, over 20 years now. I don't know. I won't get into the specific details of it because it makes me feel, makes me feel a little old. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But through the years, there's certainly some like commonalities that I, I, I could see with people that were coming in. And one of the things we know um, when people have pain that persists is that um, they end up uh, getting a, what we would call like a poorer sense of interoception in their body. So that's their like accurate sense of what's happening inside the body. So we have our proprioceptive sense. That's our sense of where we are in space. Our interoceptive sense is like what's actually happening inside of our body. And when we look at interoceptive sense, um, when you have pain, it's not that you're not tuned into what's happening in your body. It's just that the pain is incredibly loud, right? So it's, Mm -hmm. I use the analogy of like a, a, you know, there being a room full of toddlers and one of them's having a tantrum and that, that, you know, that tantrum is, it's so loud. It's hard to focus on all the other kids because there's just one kid that's so loud and it's getting all of your attention and you feel like you need to do something about it to like make it better. Right. So that, that tantrum is happening. And, you know, most parents will tell you that if they've had a a toddler that that tantrums that sometimes you need to do something, but sometimes you also need to, um, to acknowledge and move on. Right. And so, or to ignore, like there's lots of different ways that we can do that. I, I wouldn't tell most people who have pain to ignore it, but what happens is that because most of the time you can't, right. <laughs> right? That'd yeah. be one of the things like, um, and it's not that helpful for changing the patterns anyway, but what happens is we start to really need to shift the way we see our bodies so that that pain response doesn't become the only thing that we tune into. And so I had chronic pain, I had chronic pain through my teenage years and into my early twenties. And I, if somebody had said to me, you don't know your body, I would have probably been really angry and, you know, upset about it. Cause it's like, no, I'm tuned into this thing. It insists upon it. Like it's an, mm-hmm. it insists that I'm tuned in all the time. And so then, you know, what we, what I started to do with my yoga practice, not knowing anything about pain, but I started to, to get into, um, uh, yoga practice and and actually a therapeutic yoga practice. I was really lucky to have found some great teachers uh, in Calgary and then more teachers in India. Um, was that I started to tune into some of the other signals that were being sent out, and so I wasn't just tuning into pain, though I knew that was there. I was also tuning into um, what my breathing was doing, what my heart rate and rhythm was doing. Um, you know, muscle tension and muscle softness, relaxation. I had a lot of other, um, you know, uh, sort of senses of what was going on or a, a bigger sense of what was going on in my body and not just the pain, which then helped my brain um, to kind of remap my body rather than having this, you know, all these alarm bells going on around the area of my body that was painful, it started to tune in and deprioritize those areas that were 
painful and then reprioritize some of the areas that weren't painful. And so then that started to shift it. So I use a model called ARMS. This is my long way of getting to this. Um, <laughs> I use a model that's that I use the acronym ARMS, which um, awareness comes first. And without awareness, we would say you could you could use the term interoceptive sense or interoceptive awareness kind of interchangeably here, but interoceptive awareness is a lot to say and it doesn't fit into my acronym. So I'm going to leave it (laughs) out for now. (laughs) So I'm going to say, um, uh, we'll just say awareness and then, um, and then regulation. And so when we look at regulation, um, this would be our ability to mostly for most people to downregulate their system. So this, um, I can get into a little more detail about if you like, but really looking at the fact that most of the time when we have pain, we're in that kind of alarm bells, protective um, sort of system, and which we would say is your sympathetic nervous system, which for most people in like layman's language is fight or flight, right? Right. Uh, isn't um, it fight, flight, or freeze now? Yeah, right there's a whole bunch of them. We could add fawn yeah. in there. There's a whole bunch we could <laughs> add in. Um, but I would just say upregulated. You're upregulated mm-hmm. in whatever whatever way. And I tend to look at this, and I won't get into too much detail about this, but I tend to look at this through the lens of what's called polyvagal theory. So it's like we're looking at... Um, you know, kind of your ability to go into your sympathetic response and to be able to use it for your short-term survival. So that would be like getting yourself out of a really, you know, dodgy situation or a sketchy situation, Mm -hmm. and then being able to go back into a more relaxed state or, you know, what I like to call your like calm, cool, connected nervous system or your, your parasympathetic response. So how to kind of find that calm, more calm, cool, collected or calm, cool, connected, even we could say, because it helps you um, to be able to socialize and connect with other people when you're in that kind of more relaxed system. Um, And when we're, you know, when we're in pain, we, we don't do that particularly well, because our body is always giving us alarm bells, right? It's always like something's going on, something could be potentially dangerous, you better be more vigilant. And so, um, we use a lot of different tools in yoga to help regulate the system. And some, you know, if we were using them therapeutically, we could use to upregulate the system, but typically people with pain don't need those. So I tend to draw from the tools that help us to downregulate the system. And there's lots and lots of those in yoga, everything from, you know, kind of breathing or pranayama practices, um, uh, to, uh, meditative practices, to relaxation practices, to, um, you know, kind of chanting, right. So there'd be like a ton of, of downregulating practices, even, and including to just going to a class and like socially interacting with people, if that's something that helps to calm the nervous system, um, you know, for some people it won't, that's why it's individualized. Um, but we would, we would draw on those practices to help create a toolbox for people to, to help them be able to, to regulate their system. And when we do that with pain, when those alarm bells go off, we can start to downregulate, right? We can start to calm the system and remind our system that we actually don't need to be in that upregulated state or that warning state. And that can actually help to calm that pain response down. From there, then once we've established that awareness and regulation, then we can introduce movement. And that's one of the things that I think people go to first. It's like, Mm -hmm. oh, let's get you moving. And it's like, movement's great, but it's only great if you can 
um, you can tune into your system and not tune out, which a lot of people with pain will do when they start moving. We can tune in and then we can learn to regulate our system while we're introducing movement and then eventually getting to strengthening and coordinating. And usually when we start with strengthening and coordinating, which a lot of times people come in and they're like, oh, I got told I've got pain because I'm weak or my core is weak or like that's why I've got my back pain or whatever. And it's like, well, if I put them straight into strengthening and coordinating, because their system is already protective, they're likely going to over effort. That's what I call mm-hmm. it. You're just like going to over effort through everything. You're going to clench. You're going to hold your breath. You're going to, you're going to push through. And a lot of people have been pushing through their pain for a long time, which actually tends to make it a little bit worse, or at least perpetuates that cycle. So with that, that order becomes really, really essential when I work with folks to get them to start to um, be able to tune in, you know, calm the system or regulate the system and then in slowly introduce movement and, and strengthening. So we slowly add that stuff in as long as they can continue to kind of, um, to stay tuned in and to regulate. And when they lose those tools of regulation, then we don't want to back off whatever it is that they're doing. And that doesn't just fly on the mat. That's like, like it needs to go beyond the mat. Sure. It sounds more like a life skill than just a yoga skill. <laughs> That's what, lots of people come back and say like, oh, I got into a disagreement with my partner. And when I was talking to my partner, um, you know, I used that like awareness, like I tuned in to what was happening in my body and I, I used my downregulating practices. So I didn't like get angry, like I immediately do. And I took my like five breaths or whatever tool it is that I've kind of taught them. And I was able to actually like calm my system and be able to respond in a way that was reasonable rather than react in my old pattern. And it's really to what we're trying to do is help people become more responsive and less reactive because the responsive would be the conscious choice. Reactive would be that unconscious, um, you know, kind of autopilot that the body's set on. So that happens for pain. It happens in anger. It's pretty, you know, dysregulated systems are typically dysregulated systems, right? Not just with pain. Absolutely. And hence the importance of the holistic point of view, because pain doesn't just happen in the body, doesn't just happen in the mind. It happens in connection to all of the things we go through and everything about who we are. So it sounds like this arms system, and I'm just going to uh, uh, state this, um, the levels again here, just so everybody knows. So arms is awareness, regulation, movement or mobility, and then strength and coordination, right? Yeah. So it sounds like those things really address, you know, who you are as a holistic person rather than just, you know, where your pain is or, you know, where it's coming from, which I guess was the whole point of what everything you just explained. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and for sure. And just to pop in there and say that, like, that's not to say that that responsibility then goes exclusively onto the person who is. So, you know, for example, if somebody's in, uh, you know, an abusive relationship, there's, I don't want them to start to learn how to regulate through that so that they're tolerating it. Right. And so I think that's sometimes what happens in the broader yoga community is like, you're putting up with stuff that we shouldn't be putting up with. And we're, you know, trying to regulate ourselves through situations that are actually dangerous. Right. And so the idea is that you can now start to to discern what is dangerous and what is not rather than your body just interpreting everything as being dangerous. Right. So that responsibility doesn't exclusively now, 
you know, on the person who's in pain, it's like, now we actually are able to make more conscious choices about what's happening in our lives and choose what's going to be good for us and what's not going to be good for us and be able to kind of differentiate from there. Right. So instead of dismissing all of the alarm bells, it's about being able to be aware of why the alarm bell is going off and then decide, okay, is this something I can regulate or should regulate through? Or is this something that is important and the alarm bells are like, oh my gosh, you got to get out. Yeah. So totally. Yeah. Mm -hmm. On in a pain education um, seminar that I teach, I have a, I have a, you know, after I've taught this idea, I have a, a little guy sitting in a room that's on fire and he's like, this is fine. It's like, no, like not everything is fine all the time. So we really want to be able to start to differentiate about, you know, what is, what is dangerous. Then we slip into, or we, we go on autopilot. We fall into that, that sympathetic response. We get ourselves out of that dangerous situation, but then we don't build a house there. We don't just stay. We don't move in. We don't stay in that sympathetic response. We go back into, that, that more calm, cool, connected, that more, more parasympathetic response, that relaxed response. So we're mostly living in that relaxed kind of social, um, more trusting kind of, um, long-term survival response rather than trying to, trying to maintain or trying to, trying to live through being in fight or flight all the time. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, uh, having gone through that shift myself, I can absolutely recognize the importance of being able to read your own body signals. And I just have to say, I think every person out there living with a chronic illness, pain or otherwise identifies with that meme of the poor dog sitting in the house saying, yeah. this is fine while everything burns down around him. <laughs> yeah. 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 So obviously your t- techniques sound fantastic for addressing pain, especially being able to discern whether, you know, pain is a danger signal or not and how to work with that. Um, but for our listeners who might not be able to attend yoga classes or find a yoga therapist, what kind of at-home techniques or resources would you recommend? So what I would say to begin with is just to start to do that tuning in practice. So there's lots and lots of things that you can do without ever kind of tapping into um, those external resources. And really my job as a yoga therapist is to make it so that I no longer am needed. If I'm doing my job well, um, you come and see me for, you know, hopefully a short-ish period of time. Um, Though sometimes I think people just get attached to the idea of coming in and getting that kind of weekly tune up, (laughs) kind of coming in and keeping on going, but really um, being able to, to kind of use that toolbox that I've provided um, uh, because really the, the general idea behind the practice is to empower you to take at least part of um, your healthcare into your own hands. Right. Um, So you know, to begin with, even just starting with some of those awareness practices. And and certainly if you have a history of trauma or, um, you know, there's there's, uh, some mental health issues um, that you're also dealing with, I would say make sure, um, because as we tune in, sometimes that can kind of bring up some of those. So I'd say make sure you have the care that you need in the process of this and you don't just start doing this. If it starts to make you feel worse, please stop doing it and seek out some, some mental health support. So I'll just put that caveat on it to begin with. Um, but I will say that, um, you know, awareness practices, things like body scans, um, 
just even sitting and tuning in and, you know, something as simple as like noticing your breath or noticing um, areas of relaxation and areas of tension in the body, um, noticing habits that you have when you're kind of uh, starting to get a little bit more wound up as your day goes on or you get busy. Just some of those general awareness practices are really simple things to introduce in your day. And then there's a bunch of like super simple down-regulating practices as well. So things like taking five sighing exhales, you know, and I've been doing this when I come out in the middle of a pandemic, I do this, you know, coming out of grocery shopping. I sit in my car, I take five breaths because for a while there, grocery shopping was really stressful. You know, Mm -hmm. like there's things that we have on a daily basis that, that kind of amp up our nervous system. And when you tune into it, you start to notice those little subtle whispers your breath is up a little higher in your chest. Maybe it's a little more shallow. It's more, your inhale is more in the driver's seat and your exhales kind of like, you know, fallen by the wayside. You're not as aware of it. You notice tension in your jaw, maybe in your abdomen or your shoulders. There's some like really little subtle hints that the body's sending you. I call them your body's whispers and you tune into those. And when your body starts to whisper, then it doesn't have to get to yell. You can tune into those and start to shift them. So first we tune in, we develop that awareness, and then we can start to do some soft sighing breaths. There's a really lovely practice in yoga, which sounds really weird, I recognize, but works really well called alternate nostril breathing or Nadi Shodhana. And Nadi Shodhana is like basic, like there's lots of ways to find that online. It's a beautiful practice and it usually helps to really kind of calm the system down. Um, Sometimes in these calming practices, especially if you've been, kind of living in, in fight or flight, you built your house there and you've been, you've been in there for a while. We have a certain percentage of the population that will end up uh, having what we call um, relaxation induced anxiety. And so when you start to relax, um, part of the system that helps your body feel safe is that you're like always vigilant, right? You start to let go of vigilance. And so then you become anxious about letting go of the vigilance. And then it kind of like amps up that response. So if that happens, yeah, (laughs) don't be surprised about it. It's really quite common. Like we think at some point, um, most people will run into it when they're in a stressful time in their life. And pain is an extremely stressful time. And it may have been a stressful time for the last like decade or 20 years or whatever it happens to be. So if that comes up, just approach it really gently, you know, like step into it for a little bit and then back off of it. When you start to feel that response come up, if you're working with a practitioner, we can help you work through that relaxation induced anxiety. But if you're working with it on your own, I would say just like, you know, dip a toe in and then step back and like dip a toe in a little bit and then step back. And eventually your system should start to shift a little bit with that. There's other kind of tools and methods we can use, but I would want to work with the person if that was the case. So, yeah. Uh, Sorry, I know you guys can't see my face, but I'm just sitting here with the most gobsmacked expression because you have just put words to what I first experienced when I first started yoga, that uh, relaxation-induced anxiety was the reason why I stopped and started yoga about four or five times before I really jumped into it because it made everything feel so much worse for a while. And, uh, and I feel like a lot of people will identify with that comment. So, I mean, personally, thank you, but that's so fascinating too, especially for people living with pain, because like you said, that hypervigilance, that awareness all the time of your pain and the danger signals around you is so intense 
that deconstructing that connection takes time and effort. And when you run into those negative responses like that, it can feel like you're doing things wrong, but yeah, it sounds like it's totally. just a, a response that you have to be aware of and kind of work through. Totally. And what I would say is that it's like really common in people who have a history of trauma. So when we look at trauma or PTSD or CPTSD, um, when we look at people who, um, you know, are still in maybe a potentially dangerous situation. So maybe there is still some danger around you, or you're still unsure of if that danger is gone. Um, you know, that can be something that kind of kicks it into overdrive or, you know, certainly if you have been living in that sympathetic system for a long time, then that's going to be something that just feels comfortable. And anytime we change something that feels comfortable, the system is unsure and, and would rather warn you would rather like err on the side of caution than to kind of let you create a big shift that could be potentially dangerous. Cause we don't know, you know, it's just sort of like, well, what's on the other side of that door might actually be way, way better. It's like, let's make a deal. You know, I don't know, maybe I just date myself with this, but <laughs> <I love that. laughs> you know, it's like, you know, door number one or door number two. And it's like, well, we know what's like, we've seen behind what's behind door number one. We've been living here for a while. It's not great, but it's like, you know, it's, it's what I know it's familiar. And there is like a sort of comfort in that. And then behind door number two, it might be awesome. Um, you know, there might be some really great things there, but it's, it's unfamiliar and unfamiliarity is one of the things that kicks in that sympathetic nervous system. And so if you're not used to feeling that calming system, um, it can feel pretty scary. And again, not a conscious choice. Not like you're like, Hmm, this, this, I think this feels a little bit scary. I think I should have this response. It's more like, um, you know, your systems like this is unfamiliar unconsciously. It's like kicks in that, that shot of, you know, another shot of adrenaline and cortisol. And then like away you go back into that, that cyclical kind of anxiety or pain pattern. And so, you know, if that's just a matter of like, you know, if that stuff comes up and you're not having any luck working through it, then that's when you, you go to professionals, right. You get in, you, you find your mental health support people, you find your, your yoga therapist, you find the people who can help you kind of work through that stuff. But, you know, one of the things that happens often is, especially with pain is people are like, I hate the relaxation part of yoga classes, um, because it, a makes my pain worse, right? That's mm -hmm. one thing that people will respond with. It makes my pain worse because you're getting that, that, you know, think of anxiety or that kick into that sympathetic system as being something that, you know, is like that sympathetic system responding to try to keep you safe. Um, and, uh, and then B it's like, uh, you know, holding still makes me hyper-focus on my, on my pain. And so then we need to find, it's my job to find more accessible routes in. So maybe stillness isn't the best option. That's my job is to be creative. So I can make those practices accessible to everybody. Wow. And what an important job that is. I have to say, I wish I had met you, you know, 10 years ago when I started on my own pain journey, because I, I can say that I would have loved all of these techniques, but I hope that at least somebody else, you know, finds this useful and gets to, you know, experience that, that process of, you know, basically becoming aware of your pain, down-regulating your experiences, and then moving on to, you know, mobility and strengthening because everybody deserves that, whether or not you live with pain. 
Okay, so uh, just you know, finishing off, touching base on this uh, the, this pro process of you know um, awareness and regulation and all the things we've just talked about. Do you have any specific guidelines or you know an approach that you follow to uh, help people with this? Yeah, for sure. So when I'm working with people with pain to help with you know kind of following that arms model. Um, you know, the way we change pain is to kind of help that system regulate. So when we're looking for those whispers, there's five things that I get people to kind of tune into. And the first one is awareness. That makes sense. We've already talked about that. Um, and then I, we look for a calm breath. So your breath is like a really lovely little kind of window into what's going on with your nervous system. And so if your breath, if you can calm your breath, even if your breath isn't initially calm, but whatever you're doing, um, you're able to actually calm your breath, that will be another little kind of, it's like a little hack into your nervous system to help keep that pain response down. So if we can calm the breath, we can calm our body. And by that, I mean, like watch for sort of tension and, and, um, you know, any, uh, you know, kind of holding in the body. So we'll watch for that, that, and then we'll help to calm that, the calm the muscles, calm the body, and then a feeling of safety. So we're always looking for a way to kind of help our body feel safe. And that might be like just a simple mantra of like, I'm safe. And I'm safe doing what I'm doing. Like consciously, I know that this is a safe activity. I'm, you know, just standing up from my chair and standing up from my chair isn't going to cause harm. So I'm going to exhale my way through it. And I'm going to keep my, my body calm instead of holding my breath and kind of gritting my teeth and making a noise and, and tightening everything up. And then um, you're not allowed to have regrets later. <laughs> so whatever it is that you're doing, it's like, you know, calm your breath, calm your body, feel safe and if you think to yourself, I'm going to regret this later, it's probably too much and we need to like back off. So you need to learn to like dose whatever it is that you're doing and pace it a little bit differently so that you can get into those five guidelines. Wow. I mean, I feel like I need to follow those guidelines in my regular life, let alone when I'm dealing with pain. So that's fantastic. So it's like, um, a, it's like an easy trick to to regulate your system. Yes. Yes. So just, yeah. just to make sure that I have them clear here. So it was awareness, calm your breathing, calm your body, that feeling of safety, and then pacing yourself essentially. So you don't regret what you're doing later on. You got it. Yeah. And I would say pacing or dosing too. So like if you pace yourself, you're going slowly, but you do like way too much of whatever it is, that's going to be equally bad to doing it too quickly. Right. So the pace and the dose become really important. Fantastic. And an important clarification. So thank you very much. I appreciate that. No <laughs> so just kind of at the end here, I was just wondering, um, because this is a Saskatchewan based podcast and I love tying everything back to Saskatchewan. So uh, what does it mean for you to be living in and working in Saskatchewan and uh, with the people here who live with pain? Um, well, I love Saskatchewan. I have this like soft spot. I've lived not too far away. I've lived in Manitoba and in Alberta, um, uh, but Saskatchewan's really home. And I feel like for a lot of years, there wasn't a lot of resources for folks here in Saskatchewan for pain. And uh, I know that that's building now and it's really exciting to see things like the, the chronic pain clinic and, 
in Regina. And, and I know that there's more resources available to in Saskatoon. And there's a lot of work going on to build a, a broader support system for folks with pain. But because um, pain is complex, it's been, it's really hard. And I don't think this is just Saskatchewan itself, but I'm going to relate it back to Saskatchewan and say, um, there's a lot of complexities that are not sort of treated in Saskatchewan. Treating one part of pain isn't enough often, right? Just medications, not enough, or just mental health supports, not enough. And even if when you end up with pain, you didn't start off with some depression, anxiety, there's a really good chance that through the time of having um, that pain, um, you're going to end up with some depression and anxiety because it is incredibly hard to manage. And, um, and so what we, we really need to do, I think, is take that more holistic um, or or whole person, I think sometimes holistic gets a bad rap as a word. So I'm going to say whole person approach and not just whole person, but like whole community, whole culture. Um, when we look at, at helping people with pain. And I think that, um, that's what I really wanted to bring by working, um, with yoga, uh, and looking at, you know, all the social determinants of health and, and, um, you know, all of the, the, you know, biopsychosocial factors that kind of feed into, um, to pain and to people living with pain and, and make it equally accessible to everyone across the board. So lots of times, some of those, um, things that are accessible to people who have a higher income are not to people who have a lower income. And so, um, that becomes really essential because the people who kind of fall through the cracks are the ones often who, um, who don't have the, the, financial means to be able to actually access, um, pain support. And so, you know, working in Saskatchewan, there's, there's a lot of people living in poverty. And that was one of the things that's kind of close to my heart was, was helping as many people as I could, um, with a system that looked more holistically at, um, what they're, what they're managing. Well, I have to say, I am so glad to be on the same side as you working towards this, you know, increasing access and availability and prevalence of, you know, whole person chronic pain care options in the province. But uh, we're just really lucky to have you on the team because the, the wealth of knowledge you shared today, I can't imagine how amazing it must be to be able to work with you as a yoga therapist. So well, I want to so thank much. you so much, Sarah, for joining us today and for sharing all of your wisdom and knowledge and uh, for continuing to work with the chronic pain care community in Saskatchewan. We, we benefit greatly from having you here. Oh, thanks so much. Well, it's my pleasure. And, and thanks so much for having me. Fantastic. Thank you. For more information on Sarah's work as a yoga therapist, or to find out more about any of the topics we discussed today, you can contact Sarah at S-A-R-A-H at bodhitreeyoga.com. You can find her email address in the show notes, or you can contact us at info at saskpain.ca. Thank you for listening to Your Partners in Pain, a podcast for people experiencing pain and those who help individuals living with pain. Funding for this podcast was provided by the Saskatchewan Community Initiatives Fund and the Saskatchewan Pain Society. For more information about our organization or to find additional resources, please find us on social media at SaskPain or visit our official website, www.saskpain.ca.